Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark. Two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Before we talk about today's subject, we do want to make everyone aware of the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Uh, what they do is operate a 24-hour hotline for victims of sexual assault. Callers are routed automatically to the closest member rape crisis center for counseling, and there are more than 890 centers that participate in the network. If you need help, dial 1-800-656-4673. That number is one 800 Six five six four six seven three. Hey, Joe, do you remember that true crime documentary on Netflix that actually happened in Wisconsin where we live? Wait, was this the the one that came out in 2015 that somehow completely flew under the radar and no one, no one talked about it at all um, and definitely isn't one of the most watched things on Netflix of all time? <laughs> Does you, not ring a bell. <laughs> you couldn't possibly be talking about the independently made and low budget making a murderer, would you? uh no i'm seeing i'm not much of an indie flick kind of person so there is there is no way that that i ever heard of this like it just docu-series before docu-series has got really big this is well before the the hit docu-series dogs on netflix that clearly launched all of this uh this hype into play honestly <laughs> before making a murderer was made um I didn't actually know that there was anything in Wisconsin north of Madison. You know, I, I just yeah. assumed that if it wasn't Madison, it was Green Bay. And that's just how Wisconsin worked. I mean, sure. I mean, I live north of that area, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just assumed you maybe. lived in Green Bay the yeah. whole time. <laughs> but this is where I am. I say Stephen's point, but I was just making that up the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just, just a fictional city that like when you when you drive up to it, it's like portions of Stephen's point were filmed in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, all that happened when you asked where I lived, I just like saw the first two things and put them together. And I'm like, where do I live? Panic, panic, panic. There's our friend Stephen. Okay, what's going on? Uh, she's pointing at something. I live in Stephen's point wisconsin yeah <laughs> it was it was just straight up panic that induced it yeah <laughs> yeah I, I seriously um 
wasn't very familiar with this area of Wisconsin because, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't lived here my whole life, but mm -hmm. um, a lot of my in-laws and, and their families are from this, this area. Um, so it was, it was kind of crazy because I remember hearing, you know, some of the, uh, the court cases and everything nationally, it wasn't like a huge, you know, case that everybody knew by name at that point. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was, yeah, once I found out about it and then it's like, mm -hmm. holy crap, people that I know actually live in this city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to think of it's, it's, um, again, like Manitowoc is again, like a place that I, I've personally never been to Manitowoc. Uh, I have worked with one person who grew up in the area and when I've talked to you about, about making a murder and about Stephen Avery, uh, she was very passionate about her opinion on the case um but yeah other than that and charlie barons and his his mad to walk minute i don't know much about the area admittedly <laughs> I, I can't say i've ever been to man to walk uh proper i think i've been past sheboygan yeah in the in this area you've got yeah you've got manitowoc and there's like highway 43 which like cuts up most of this side of the west or the eastern side of of wisconsin right it kind of hugs lake michigan as mm -hmm. you go up and so there's there's uh manitowoc and then like just north of that there's michicot and to the right of that is is two rivers which colloquially is referred to as trivers for those of you not from wisconsin <laughs> yes <laughs> or northern wisconsin the fox valley the fight in fox <laughs> valley you may not know <laughs> of this of this this name that is used so it, you know it, it has that um mm -hmm. you know that that lakeside feel and in, in some of the areas there but otherwise it it does just kind of feel like uh you know normal midwest with a big old lake next to it yeah you know, it, yeah it's, uh it's it's a still a pretty area to visit there's a lot of good mm -hmm. beaches and stuff on you know nearby so um i mean i think there are folks that would vacation in a spot like this and honestly enjoy the uh, that coastal feel but without having to be you know on the sandwich the outside of the sandwiches here of of, of the united <laughs> states um, <laughs> so yeah it, it is it is an interesting place to visit you know i actually don't mind the quiet and and how different it is compared mm -hmm. to other areas you know of wisconsin for sure yeah yeah so either way mm -hmm. but uh, kind of like you mentioned joe when this came out Netflix was in a very interesting, you know, time period because, yeah, like you mentioned, the docu-series stuff wasn't really hot yet. No, not yet. Mm -mm. Yeah. Like, you got to remember, this was a time before Tiger King, you know? We, we... <laughs> the pre-Tiger King era. <laughs> there, was, there was such a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like we, we had, uh, at, at this point in time, I remember that Making a Murder came out, and then there was that that faux documentary series called american vandal do you, do you remember that oh, one i loved american vandal hilarious <laughs> yeah. series yeah oh my god mm -hmm. yeah so either you've got a 13-year documentary about you know a, a two murder convictions or a rape mm -hmm. and murder conviction and then you've got a guy drawing penises on everything <laughs> yep and then someone else uh who what was it they put shit in like um like the, the lunch smoothies or something yeah, yeah that was yeah. season two of yeah. american vandal Mm -hmm. admittedly it did not last long but you yeah. know fun of all lasted it was a good ride 
<laughs> yeah, there's only so much you can do with with that kind of ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but the truth was though, this documentary did kind of blow the doors off of possibility or the art of the possible with this type of work. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see plenty of documentaries that collect data and interview people, and they don't cover a certain period of time. They just share information with you. This felt so much different. Like we mentioned, mm-hmm. it's a 13 year effort uh, by these documentarians, you know, Laura Riccardi and and Maura Demos and to see those two dedicate this much time and, you know, bring you a fairly compelling, uh, you know, conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt very unique beyond, you know, what we're used to seeing on like the A&E's or, you know, investigation discovery that yeah. aren't sponsors, by the way. No. Yeah. Totally mm-hmm. different approach. Completely. It's cause like mostly like you think of like your, your A&E um, basically, I think at that point uh, South Park referred to as murder porn. <laughs> uh and it's pretty much like almost like in a way like kind of glorifying the killer like uh yeah. i feel like a lot of this was like really going into like their mindset and why they did what they did and going into sometimes grotesque detail over what they did to their victims and people kind of latched onto that macabre and yeah. this did something different where it was not glorifying stephen avery but bringing up the possibility that maybe he didn't do what he what is he what he claimed to to has been done um yeah. or in the event that he did it that there was a gross abuse and overstep on law enforcement and even the judicial areas of his case to convict him which which i totally agree with it's it's a different view of of a crime because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you're just getting factual data as to yeah. you know someone lost their life mm-hmm. you know here, here is some of the information as the investigation continues and then there's a plot twist mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe two maybe three it just depends on how much stamina the editor has yep and, and then at the end of it you've got you know you've got your your murderer identified mm-hmm. and all that good stuff and yep. yeah you're right like we get so much of this detail on on mm-hmm. the grisly aspects of what go on and I, I've watched plenty of these documentaries. They absolutely now love to take these photos of the crime scenes mm-hmm. and they just plaster it right up on the screen. Yeah. You know, and it takes like 90% of your field of vision. And mm-hmm. you look at that and you just go, am I here for justice of the victims or am I here because I have a desire to see something deceased? Yeah. And so it, it's, it's, not, it's not the same, Mm-mm. you know, it's not the same idea that, um, that others have, have tried to push past. And, and I think a part of that has to do with the fact that you mentioned uh, the filmmakers were, you know, kind of partnered up with the innocence project to, mm-hmm. you know, cast light on the original conviction. And, yep. you know, like you mentioned, showing the, uh, the inconsistencies with the Manitowoc police department. So mm-hmm. yes, very much different feel. Yeah. And uh, like you said, like this doesn't feel like they're trying to, to really glorify like the the events of the story and a lot of times when they showed crime scene events or when really this was one of the earlier documentaries that really showed what's happening in an interrogation room in depth because like other like i'm like other like um uh dateline and uh other news types and other programs like they'll show like clips here and there from uh, an interrogation with police officers but when we see this in Making Murder, like we spend, I think, almost an entire episode throughout the interrogation. 
And yeah. it was one of the first times that this was done at length and to try and make you really question and look at how those things are done and then just how strong that that can be used as evidence against someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of like, you know, just the, the evidence and the, the amount of things we have to go off of here, this is a documentary that encompasses about 22 years of Stephen Avery's life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I thought that was an interesting take because, you know, they, they really paint this picture of who he is. Yeah. And, and that was honestly the thing that I wanted to know the most. Mm -hmm. I didn't live here. You know, I don't, yeah. I didn't know the Avery family. I live no. two and a half hours South of where they are, you know, in yeah. green Bay. Right. Not all of us have, none of us have the, <laughs> the pleasure and the grace to live in Wisconsin's maritime capital that is Manitowoc. Not all of us come from the Clipper city. <laughs> Not all of us have been graced with being able to live in good old Manti. You know, why don't, why don't we actually paint a little bit of a picture here? Because, mm -hmm. You know, Manitowoc, like I mentioned before, it's probably not a city that a lot of folks have been to. And we've kind of talked about how it's like a coastal, you know, area and, and all that. But mm -hmm. one thing to understand about the area around where the Averys were from and, you know, where a lot of this story takes place. What I always kind of thought about when I would visit here was that you've got long stretches of road in between cities in mm -hmm. this area. And a lot of times you would reach unincorporated towns in between them that might have a bar and a church and that's it <laughs> and right? really let's be honest it's like three bars in a church or it's just the it's bar Wisconsin. church com it's the bar church combo you yeah. know it's you know? and maybe there's like a walmart that has a bar and a church in it yeah and oh, a, yeah. you can get your taxes you can go you know talk to god and then you can get your alcohol it's all yeah. like a nice one-stop shop yeah i mean honestly it's just an idea i wish i had personally yeah, yeah, it's, you know it's smart it's genius yeah. <laughs> well but th that's what a lot of this area <laughs> is like though you've got uh highway 10 that kind of runs across the top of the state right you can go yeah. all the way from mm -hmm. you know that part all the way to where you live um yeah. and and so the surrounding area outside of this uh, does kind of have a different feel than what's near the highway mm -hmm. you know it, it is possible to drive down you know, drive down the road to Manitowoc to actually go to where the Averys live. And you kind of feel like you're in a different planet. I mean, you kind of do. <laughs> a little so. bit, yeah. It's it's pretty rural. And um, with a name like Manitowoc, it's hard not to bring up the, the fact that this is actually First Nations-like land. Uh, yeah. A lot of Wisconsin was uh, Ojibwa or Chippewa. And this is specifically used to be Menominee land. And yeah. its name is like, uh, means like the the place of the spirits, according to the Menominee language. And like, it's interesting in the fact that literally the US government basically negotiated this land away from the Menominee so that they could accommodate for tribes that actually were displaced from New York, uh, from the New York area. So this is where like the Oneida, the Stockbridge Muncie and the Brothertown people all got basically relocated to uh, during the 18, uh, during the early 1800s. Wow. I mean, it does, it does account for why pretty much every city there has a Native American name of mm -hmm. some kind. And, and so um, it is true. Every, every road sign you see there, every town you pass through, it mm -hmm. has, it has what, you know, you, you would think for the folks that kind of inhabited the area for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's, so to the, I guess to the point of, of Stephen Avery and kind of framing him out, not framing him as a murderer, but yes, but, mm -hmm. but, but just framing him out. So, 
yeah, the area that his family lived in, you know, it is a junkyard, mm -hmm. uh, you know, car clinic in a way, you know, yep. there's just rows of cars and covered up by tall grass and, and, it, you know, he, Stephen Avery is not a bright man. No. And I think the, the documentary does, does a, uh, they take a, they take a good minute to explain this, that he is not known for his intelligence and that he and his family are more, more blunt about what they do. And, uh, basically, I don't know, their language, uh, and their way of life. They're basically, they're there to work and get work done. And that's kind of how they, how they do their, you know, their way of life is like, I don't feel like it's, it's like kind of like the, uh, the idea that like really high school's more education than you need sort yeah. of mentality. It, it ain't much, but it's honest work, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think I need to be a little more country with that. It ain't much, but it's honest work. You know that. Throw that it in open, it fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, Blake, we've got to go full Midwest um, yeah. uh, to really access the, this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to, so we've kind of talked about how they they do paint this this innocence angle and and kind of mm -hmm. kind of making him like the perfect idiot, just to use a, a term that's easier yeah. to get to. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the truth is, the guy did have an IQ of seventy. Uh, and as anyone knows, you don't want to be a 70. If anything, you want to be in the meteor part of the curve where no one's really going to notice. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he's on the part where people are usually like, you know, they, and I'm not trying to make fun of people that had to go through like, you know, different types of schooling, but, but him yep. and his, some of his family members were in, you know, different methods of, of the public education system mm -hmm. because of that. Um, so that's that's part of what actually took me a little bit to get used to and trying to understand his thought processes and everything. Mm -hmm. Not that I was like trying to go, okay, how could I get to the same thought point that he did? But when you start to look at this and you're like, okay, now, now I'm framed in this. I understand, mm -hmm. you know, what he's kind of working in. And what I thought was really interesting about him here is that the guy, even though he's painted as innocent for a specific crime mm -hmm. truth is he was doing some bad shit before this. oh yeah absolutely and i think part of the part of the argument that some people have against this documentary because some people will say that it is very one-sided uh in avery's favor and that it's kind of purposely trying to make um the other townspeople of manitowoc and the law enforcement um out to be like either bad people or that they were specifically out to get the Averys and they didn't point things out. Well, at, at that point, you have to argue that like the point of the documentary is to show that there is a good chance that there was some misuse or miscarriage of law here. Yeah. So they don't want to focus on Avery's past, but I think they spend probably a good, what, 15, 20 minutes of the first episode going into the, the wrongdoings of Stephen Avery in his younger life. Look, he, the people that I know that are from this area and who mm -hmm. grew up there, you know, some of them want to talk about it, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. But the majority that are usually uh, having feelings about this, they're not warm butterfly feelings about Stephen Avery. No, um, it's often mentioned how the family's not well received, they're not well liked, and just to read off some of these, and they cover this in the documentary. But I mean, he robbed a bar in 1981. Mm -hmm. um, he had friends that retold a story about him pouring gasoline and oil over his cat and lighting it on fire this was in 1982 
Um, and then three years later, he would actually run his own cousin off the road and at gunpoint threatening her. And what, what they mention here in some of the storytelling, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. refer to it as storytelling is that she, his cousin who apparently claimed that, you know, he was uh, masturbating on the lawn and, mm -hmm. and that he was tired of her spreading the, the uh, incorrect information there. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, after the documentary was aired, people kind of came out and said that, yeah, he, he wasn't trying to get back at her, mm -hmm. you know, for, for something that he didn't do. Apparently yeah. uh, he had even sexually assaulted this cousin at some point. Mm -hmm. So it, I mean, you take your pick, whether it's, you know, breaking and entering, mm -hmm. uh, killing innocent animals or being violent to his own family members. These do kind of tick the boxes for, yeah. you, know, you know, traditional serial behavior. I'm not going to use mm -hmm. the full term because he's not a serial killer necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like there are some pretty, like if there was basically a, a checklist of you do these things and it likely means this, he's yeah. checked many of those boxes that likely means that he is going to be violent towards people and uh likely you know more than likely murder someone this I mean, is these are these are behaviors that other murderers have growing up in life so it's like yeah you know what there's a good chance Stephen avery's probably going to try killing someone based off of his past behavior it, it is kind of like you know like a credit score type of mm -hmm. thing right like yep. you know it's like hey if you got this credit score you're likely to get this interest rate mm -hmm. if you've done these things yeah. that are violent crimes and domestic mm -hmm. crimes yeah, probably a chance you're going to murder someone or yeah. some or persons, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so this this is a glossed detail in this series, and and the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm speaking on behalf of myself when I watched it the first time. Yeah. Now my my wife fully knew the story, mm -hmm. I did not. So when I started to hear about this, they do just kind of sum this up as, you know, he was in a tough crowd, he was in a rough group of people. And, yep. you know, things just kind of escalate when you're, mm -hmm. when you're dropped in that environment. Yeah. Um, and so that's that it, as a viewer of this, the first time, that's where I kind of went, okay, maybe I can take some aspects of this and put it in one column mm -hmm. and put the other, you know, on the other side. Yeah. And it wasn't until later where I kind of went like, yeah, these, these mm -hmm. are coming together pretty yep. quick. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but, but for people that once again, that are like me, that didn't know about this case, had no mm -hmm. clue what was going on. I do think this is one of the first steps where it's like, I think we were irresponsible with how we presented this. Yeah. Info. And one thing else I'd like to add to that, um, again, a bit of irresponsibility is they feel like even after this quick little, you know, veneer of, of what Avery's done, I think they pretty much quickly tack on that. He pleads guilty pretty readily to all of these, all of these things. And again, like they don't add much onto that. So like my question it is, is like, was he basically told he needs to plead guilty? Because there's so much evidence that if he tries fighting the case, like it's going to look like it's not going to be in his favor. Or was this because the way the documentary pointed is like he's basically admitting guilt and like, nope, I did those things. I shouldn't have done them. And I'm going to own up to my I'm, I'm going to own up to what I did, because I feel like that's what they tried doing with it is that he knows he did something wrong. He knows he shouldn't have done it and he didn't fight it. He willingly did his time. He pleaded guilty. He went to jail. He paid his fines and then he was back in society afterwards. Yeah. 
it's like a subway mm-hmm. club card. Like they just yeah. kind of punch your ticket and then jail time mm-hmm. just disappears. Yep. And, and then eventually and that, you punch it enough times and he gets a free sandwich. Yeah. I guess that's how the, that's mm-hmm. how the correctional facilities typically work. You know, I, I think for me, what I took away from this was when they showed him talking about these scenarios, you and I have talked about this before Joe, both on the show and off that mm-hmm. sometimes kids do things. And when you ask them to explain themselves, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and like, I don't know. Yeah. That's really what you see a lot of in Avery's face. If you go back and watch this, you kind of see the eyebrows not move. His his eyes don't even move. It's just kind yeah. of looking off in the distance. And it's like, man, eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so at least in the beginning, you kind of think, or at least now that I look at it and I go, yeah, maybe. I don't know if there's a whole lot of remorse in there. No. You know, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And and it could be just what faculties he has or it could just be that's his that's his demeanor yeah. but mm-hmm. that's that's what i took away um yeah and even but, when yeah. he goes back and talks about how like he pleaded guilty to these things and he did it and he knew it was wrong i don't know i feel like it's him trying to prove a point and not prove his innocence yeah more than anything else and yeah. it feels like i don't know it feels like it's fed to him a little bit which really makes mm-hmm the 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 early focus of this series kind of unfortunate because mm-hmm. morning of july 29th 1985 you and i weren't even on this well actually i wasn't on this earth yet mm-hmm. i don't think you were either yet were you uh at that point i believe i was conceived you were baking but you weren't yep. out of the oven yet not yet not yet <laughs> i would say that we are past the preheating phase and we've gone straight into the the straight up baking yeah now, th- so this this was the case that that really uh, helped inspire a lot of doubt in the improper uh, prison sentence that that he mm-hmm. received. Right. Yeah. The, so he was incarcerated for, uh, unfortunately, a woman. Her name was Penny Bernston, I think. Is it Bernston? I've always it's mispronounced Bernstein. her name. Yeah, Bernston or something like that. Unfortunately, Penny uh, was was beaten and, and sexually assaulted while she was mm-hmm. jogging along Lake Michigan that morning of July 29th. Um, and the when they talk through the details of this case, you you kind of realize just how little work was done uh, by the police force to truly catch who did this this crime, um, because uh, it's th- this is the this this whole part of this case is so boggling because. Yes, he clearly did not rape this woman. Mm-hmm. You know, he was 40 miles away at the time that this occurred. He was shopping. He was with his family. He was with his kids. He's got over a dozen eyewitnesses. They all can say where he was. And, mm-hmm. and, and even if you just do the math of like him having to travel to get to where this occurred, there's no way no. he could have possibly committed it. So mm-hmm. my takeaway from you know, this, this part of the investigation was that, um, Manitowoc police department, I don't know where they began doing this or if they were just kind of sick of dealing with Stephen Avery, mm-hmm. but putting him in prison just felt like a goal for them. Didn't it? A little bit. Yeah. Because you're trying to figure out like, well, I mean, figure out how they could have done it because at the same time, like Bernstein does like say that she, she points him out specifically like, Nope, that was my, that was my, that was my the person who assaulted me she picks him out from a crowd how he was put into that crowd in the first place makes me feel like this is this is where like the manitowoc police department and also by the way not the sheriff's department 
because yes. as it turns out, the sheriff's department, for some reason, got a lot of heat for this documentary, despite the fact they were not involved in this case at all. Um, yeah. Or did, I or did I have that backwards? Was it the sheriff's department that did this and it was the police department that had nothing to do with it? It was one of the two uh, steps. <laughs> one of them. But, but basically, however Avery got put into this lineup, basically felt like we don't like Stephen Avery. We know he usually does something wrong. We're going to throw him in the lineup anyway. And then lo and behold, he gets picked out. And all right. So these other people who identified him being 40 miles away must just be lying. You know, now that you're talking about this, Joe, I, you do bring up a good point. We want to be careful on this because we're not out to to necessarily demonize law enforcement here. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think you are correct because for, I, I do think you are correct that the sheriff, uh, the county sheriff, was was what was behind this. But yeah, we could, yeah. We could definitely, yep. we that's, can definitely, yeah. Look that's what it, on that. Yeah, that's what it was. I'm actually looking it over right now. It was so not the first case with Bernstein, but definitely in the second case. Um, yeah, like we're, uh, the one making the murder focuses on. It's it's missteps were made by the sheriff's department, and it was the local PD that was catching flack, and they shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah, which is a very important distinction to make. If you're going to be writing hate mail after this episode, folks, just make sure it goes to the right place. Yes, yeah, so. Send it to me because I made the mistake. <laughs> well, Mark had nothing to do with this. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of mistakes, I mean, that's what ends up happening here. He ends up being in prison because his photo was picked out of a lineup. Mm -hmm. And then Avery was picked out of the in-person lineup as well, mm -hmm. um, which at that point, you know, I'm not going to blame you know Penny for no. what she endured and, and what she was trying to mm -hmm. you know, reason out at that stage. I imagine that has to be an incredibly difficult experience. Um, and it, we know none of us really know what happened behind closed doors. You know, we, we don't know how she was presented the information. You know, it, it could have been as simple as like the corporate wants you to find the difference between these pictures. And it's just the same two pictures of Stephen Avery, you know? Um, so it, either way though, he ended up being uh, sentenced for this crime mm -hmm. and then placed into prison for what would have been a full, you know, 32 years. Yep. had had nothing else occurred during that time no um, except for things that did occur during that time was bernstein's actual assaulter has i think at least twice publicly said that he was the one who did it oh he totally did oh, yeah. and and not only that dna evidence that he provided also further proved that he actually committed the crime yeah um which unfortunately this was one of the details in the uh, in the netflix documentary that really kind of makes your blood boil mm -hmm. it, is that the they, they were aware of this confession yep. um, law enforcement was aware also of the fact that the dna matched mm -hmm. and at that point in time they said well we've got our man it doesn't really Case matter closed moving forward because at, at that time i think both of them were even in prison at the time yeah they were, they were both yeah. wearing stripes man. away mm -hmm. yeah well, and it, to me, it's like if if I was in law enforcement, if I had any kind of doubt whatsoever that I didn't have the right person, <laughs> I, e even if you feel pretty mm -hmm. strongly, but somebody yeah. gives you something else to kind of just turn that rock over, mm -hmm. I would probably do that. I would probably do that. Go, mm -hmm. okay, if there's enough doubt here for me to kind of 
just make sure that this is the end of this road. Mm-hmm. Let's get it right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That, that didn't happen. No, <laughs> it did not happen at all. Because that, and that's where like you actually get to this documentary of like they like yeah like even like Stephen Avery probably not the not the best person on the planet. Not going to defend him uh, and what he's done, but or what especially things he's done in the past. Like he definitely deserves to be locked up, but he also deserves to be locked up specifically for those things. And yeah, not something he potentially didn't do. Or again, if he did do it, you need to catch him actually doing it because that's how the justice system should work but yeah. getting back to actually bernstein for a little bit on this um bernstein bernstein is defaulting because of the, the stupid bears books yeah and yeah but um bernstein after like the evidence like the dna evidence came forward and they found out that she had misidentified avery like she was gutted like she said it was i think she was quoted at um saying that she actually felt worse knowing that she'd put him in jail than when she actually got assaulted that morning oh, i have man. that it's uh that was that was printed that was yeah that was a quote from her it was printed in the new yorker that's, yeah that's, and she that's too bad felt horrible she wrote avery an apology letter um she didn't really and she never agreed to actually part of the documentary because she's you know she's trying to like move on with her life um yeah and so when this comes forward naturally she doesn't really want to be a part of it because she's trying to trying to be her and not be what happened in the past and one thing that actually was you know a, actually another misstep the documentary had is the picture they used of bernstein after she was assaulted they did without her permission seriously yeah and bernstein uh said that she wasn't she wasn't mad because she had to see it again. She was mad because her children had never seen that before and she never wanted them to see it. Yeah. That's, that's so up, man. very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of where, when you look at this documentary after you've seen it and, and you kind of take yourself out of the vacuum of, you know, the, the presumed innocence and, and doing that, like you, you do start to see how, you are being driven towards something, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, yes, we, he's, he's innocent of one crime and they're trying to kind of apply that, you know, tra- transitively to yeah. other things. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, and that's why the, tr- the case of Teresa Halbach and his involvement here becomes that much more difficult because, you know, before they get there, they fully explain this wrongful conviction case. And the fact that he is suing, you know, Manitowoc for $36 million. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it immediately kind of begins to like build the logic and push you towards it that there are people who may not want him to A, be out of prison and two, get any money. Yeah. In, in restitution, it, right? Yeah. Cause you're looking at this and Manitowoc is a city of like 35,000 people. So that's roughly, you know, a little more than $1 million per person going into this guy's wallet. And as a community that, you know, grew up with Stephen Avery and knowing his history that we talked about here and his relationship to the town, can imagine not very thrilled with that idea that their tax money may be going into paying him this amount. I mean, I know that of, you know, the people that I know probably wouldn't want to kick a thousand bucks his way yeah. each. You know, 
parties. So um, I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't enjoy being part of that party either. No, but I mean, it, that's that's really what they kind of use this as a device to do is is begin to show mm-hmm. that there may be influences from from law enforcement here to, you know, find a way to get him back behind bars for for something else. Mm-hmm. And so I will say I did bite pretty hard on that. I was like, yeah, yeah I could really see them mm-hmm. doing this and trying to nullify or, or ruin his case yep. uh, in order to prevent that from happening for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's something that another reason why uh, Bernstein wasn't really involved in this is because she felt um, that the filmmakers had basically already had this thing as a foregone conclusion that Avery was actually innocent. And this was not necessarily um, journalists seeking the truth. It was them actually with a message that um, he was wrongfully committed. So again, it really was the opposite of what kind of like we were kind of made to feel the police are doing this point. I'm sorry, the, the sheriff's department's doing at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what makes this this even more tragic for the case of Teresa Halbach because you know shortly he gets out of prison and then it's it's almost like her death is being used to you know to fit this mm-hmm. you know to fit his profile you know rather than actually getting true justice and and we'll get to that in a second but yeah. But yeah, October 31st, 2005, Teresa Halbach is is reported missing and they explore this relationship a little bit as to why she mm-hmm. was even involved with with uh Stephen Avery but she ended up actually having her own photography business I'm pretty sure and had been taking photos of vehicles for him uh for Auto Trader mm-hmm. um and so that was that's what led to to her being involved there um and she goes missing shortly after auto trader asks her to practically begs her to go out there yeah yeah take some photos and Mm -hmm. and at that point her photography business is doing so well she probably wouldn't even have to you know work with auto yeah Yeah. and another thing that the documentary does do with this um because i know we've been pointing out that it's been fairly one-sided in favor of avery one thing they do here that i thought you know again they could have maybe highlighted a little better but because it felt like it was a kind of like an afterthought is that you point out that like Avery was calling like Hallback specifically or calling he was calling auto trader and specifically requesting that she come out to take these pictures that oh, yeah. needed to be her and then I think he had he had gotten her number from because she had come over to take pictures of other vehicles that he was wanting to like sell and and put on for a listing and I think it during that time he got her number and was frequently calling and leaving her messages trying to get her I think to go out on a date with them um and and this is a, a very important part of the the documentary too that everybody kind of has questions about is that mm-hmm. yes she had voicemails on her phone mm-hmm. someone accessed these and i think they they somebody mentioned it could have been like her i think it was her ex-boyfriend at the mm-hmm. time maybe it was him maybe it was law enforcement no one's really quite sure no. who accessed her phone mm-hmm. but there could have been information on the phone that could have even helped further either cement what happens in you know in the documentary mm-hmm. or it could have led us in a completely different direction unfortunately we'll never know no like we'll, we'll seriously never know that because i'm pretty sure the voicemails were deleted mm-hmm. so that's like pretty, yeah so that that's a that's like step one of like 
40 steps here or, or you know 40 items were like mm -hmm. how does this happen yeah who does that mm -hmm. yeah so unfortunately yeah that, that ends up happening and and Teresa goes missing shortly after being called out there mm -hmm. and unfortunately the next time that anyone would see Teresa again she would be in pieces in a burn pit behind Avery's home which is just I feel like it's just terrifying to think of that this this happened to another human being and all the more damning that it was found on Avery's property and it turns out her her SUV your personal car was also found in his uh in his scrapyard yeah it was so mm -hmm. yeah so as this case unfolds yeah it's mm -hmm. kind of there's a slow burn effect that the the documentary does with this mm -hmm. and it's it's like part of it is like the discovery of the car mm -hmm. which everybody was asking this question about because this is one of the uh the the inconsistencies of uh i believe he was a lieutenant at this time i don't know if he was the captain his name was andrew colborn if you remember him he's a he's wearing that super tight shirt uh throughout this it's like <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. seriously, man, did, did you like go and ask them if they had a tighter one? They're like, no, we didn't. No, we checked. This is, this is as far as we can get. Yeah, this is this is the <laughs> tightest button combination you're going to get for your money, pal. <laughs> um, yeah, he ends up um, or, or one of his his colleagues ends up calling in the license plate before they even knew it was the license plate. Like he recognized it and knew that that was the one they needed to have. Like, like it was, it was one of the weirdest things they point out in this case that like he somehow knew to call this in before they even knew it was her car. Yeah. It is so strange. Like it, I, 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 like, mm -hmm. like for me, like I mentioned before, like the first time watching Mark here that was watching mm -hmm. this, he's like, he's like, how on earth does this happen? How does no one question this? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like hammering, you know, it's like uh, trying to staple jello to a wall here. Like, like this just does not make sense to me how mm -hmm. how you could seemingly have knowledge about something before you rightfully should yeah um but you're right they discover the car there it's been mm -hmm. covered up with a bunch of brush and everything which we'll get to in a minute yeah um but that's that's where this really catches fire like that's like mm -hmm. the first cliffhanger of the series you know is that mm -hmm. okay there's stuff here at the compound shit's getting real yep his yeah her car is there so looking at the car even i know one thing that they do bring up i think i think it says his lawyer brings it up about he owns a scrapyard yeah. he has everything at his disposal he could have completely crumpled that car and buried and then it he buried it so like you never would have found it but for some reason it's just pushed into an area and they, they just throw what debris on top of it yeah, Which, it's if you looked at the map mm -hmm. that they draw on this, it is the worst hidden car mm -hmm. of all time. Like if, yep. if you were if you're gonna try to commit a crime and hide something, they walked out to the compound, mm -hmm. law enforcement did, they pretty much walk a straight line. They walk straight to this thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 I mean, honestly, I kind of equate it to like when when a man goes to Walmart to go buy something, he walks straight to it, then leaves kind of thing, but whatever. Yep. Uh, yeah. it's fine. Mm -hmm. but yeah they walked straight to it like it, it was plain as day mm -hmm. to me that's also like check mark number two it's like how they okay, know to go straight there how did you know to walk straight there and not look mm -hmm. at anything else in the compound yeah 
Even they admit it. They, they admit mm-hmm. they didn't look at anything else. They walked straight to it. That's right. Yeah. And on top of that, which makes things even more weird, is that what they don't see in the documentary is they find Avery's DNA on the hood of that car. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's like, well, like, okay, well, the fuck did he? Did he actually push it there? Then, like, who? Like that's what makes it even more money. Like, because again, like, technically, we're saying like, if we own the scrapyard and we wanted to hide the vehicle, any normal functioning, I guess, like, murderer would have destroyed the evidence. But Avery has an IQ of seventy. Well, here, uh, you know what I'm going to do because mm-hmm. I, I hate to kind of take this down a narrative path to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. But folks, if you're listening to the question that Joe just asked, we will answer it shortly, or at least provide some reasoning for for why we think it could have mm-hmm. happened that way or what happened that way i should say um but yeah dude at this point i mean the machine is in full go mm-hmm. to get stephen avery back in prison yes yeah and because of that that's when we're introduced to his nephew brendan dassey mm-hmm. so i mean the part two of the series and part one heavily focused on you know brendan dassey and and Stephen's case. Um, but Brendan was very important in the conviction because his confession is what led them to be put in prison. Mm-hmm. Now, Brendan is a little bit smarter than his uncle because he has an IQ of 73. Yes. It's a very big difference. Mm-hmm. But th- as you mentioned, with the whole quote unquote confession, this is really where I think I was the most frustrated with this series mm-hmm. you know you're watching a guy who if you and, and if you've watched this series if you want to call this coercion you can if you want to call it you know he knows what he's doing we're not going to debate that fact because you can watch it for yourself and make up your mind mm-hmm. but as i watched this i saw brendan dassey behaving in a manner that he thought he was going to be out the entire yeah. time mm-hmm. he, he, he was even talking about making sure that he could get back in school on time because he had an assignment to turn in that he was worried about not mm-hmm. making it there for. Yeah. So, so to me, he's not just a kid. We've no. talked about some of the, the IQ and, and, and the intelligence mm-hmm. issues within the, the, you know, the Avery family. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear to me, this kid is not all there. No. And I think at one point where he, I'm trying to exactly remember like, what he admits to where he's talking to his mother about it. And she says, why on earth would you tell them that? Why would you say that? You know, he didn't do that. And he's like, I I thought that's what they wanted to hear. Or I thought that's what I was supposed to say. So again, like he's, when he says like, I thought that's what I was supposed to say, whether you want to say this was like, you know, again, like them leading him to an answer they wanted to hear or not. Um, If they were, if they weren't doing it on purpose, then this is just them not understanding the behavior of someone in Brendan's shoes of, you know, a a high school age, basically special needs student. Essentially. Yeah. 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 And, and you know what, there's, um, I think it's called the innocence files or something like this on also on Netflix. I don't think it was a Netflix original, but either way it's on there. What they've really kind of shown with that series separate from this is that the longer you have someone in questioning and you know you're it's just a mental erosion right Mm -hmm. and the longer that someone is there the more things that you're they're kind of pressed with and and the stressors externally being put on them 
the more likely they are to confess to something that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And and so I had watched that series years after this one. And when we talked about covering it, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, this kid was, you know, obviously there for a long time, but he also doesn't have the faculties no. that these other people have that I've seen that have confessed to murders and, and things they never did. And so to me, it even made it stranger because this confession not only put them in prison, but it's been upheld by yeah. other judges. Yeah, by other courts. And and backstepping a little bit to correct my my previous statement over um over Dassey's uh, comments, when he was asked by his mom, like, how did you come up with all these details when they're asking these questions? His response was, I guessed. And then when his mom like gets mad and says, you don't guess with something like this, Brendan, he responds with, well, that's what I do with my homework. So he was like, they're basically answer. They are asking him questions. And in his mind, he's just guessing answers because like basically when he tells what he, what he believes to be the truth, they tell him, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. So then if it didn't happen, he starts guessing at what they want to hear. And then he essentially did the confession version of someone that just answers C on the ACTs pretty much. Right. Just, Mm -hmm. yep. Let's just get this, this, uh, is is this form filled out and let me get back to my Saturday. You know, again, I've got homework due. I need to get to do, I need to get to, I need to do that. So yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably the, my, my, the biggest frustration I have with this. And once again, Mm -hmm. not because we definitively know that the wrong person is in prison. Mm-hmm. It's because of how they got there. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it, I think that's really one of the, the, one of the biggest problems the judicial or judicial ah, judicial mm-hmm. system has is that you run into these cases where, you know, really, really bad uh, information and things got people where they are, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just horrible to think that. And to go through some of the inconsistencies though, of the Dassey confession is where I think I spent most of my own mental time after, you know, listening to this because, you know, Dassey gives some interesting details that no one could ever prove. And not only that, no one could find any evidence of like, mm-hmm. he, he goes on to say that, that Teresa Halbach was tortured mm-hmm. in the garage next to Avery's, you know, trailer. Yeah. And that they had beaten her there and then she was chained up and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But when they investigated this, not only did they not find anything that could have been used to bind her there, mm-hmm. they didn't find any DNA evidence whatsoever. They found no hair. They found yep. no blood. They found mm-hmm. no bone. They found nothing in that garage. Yeah, And let's, let's also point out to make sure for those who, who haven't seen this or forgotten, that garage is very typical of any garage in rural Wisconsin. It is packed with shit and junk and has not been cleaned since it was built. So there's no way this guy somehow basically scrubbed it clean of DNA evidence and then regrunged it back up to look like it had been sitting this way for decades. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Well, both of these details, okay, so the garage detail. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on to say that her throat was slit mm-hmm. in his, his trailer. Yeah. Which, I don't know, Joe, if you're familiar with how veins work, especially the one near the neck that they claim to have mm-hmm. cut open. 
if that were the case, there would be blood evidence all over that bedroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be everywhere. And they have plenty of things that they could use to be able to tell blood yeah. has been on this surface. Not to but mention they there. they also I think he he admits to like some pretty like heavy sexual activity that they had performed to add on to the the horribleness of what the story would be in in the trailer as well. And then there's also no evidence of that anywhere yeah. on the bed, on the floor. Same with the blood, like that, like that should be pretty well soaked in where she, you should be able to find it. And none of those things are anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's either the most brilliant crime scene cleanup person we have ever met in the history of crimes mm-hmm. or it didn't happen there. Yeah. And again, that's what I think, I think does like the documentary now looking back at a base of even of our conversation really makes things weird because if he could so brilliantly hide all that DNA evidence, why didn't you crush the damn car? Why didn't you turn that thing know, into a paperweight? If I, he could do this, why wouldn't you have done that? Hey, I, I know you keep coming back to it. I do too. It's it's frustrating mm-hmm. to think that. Like, yeah, if if he's a mastermind in one way, how could he be so stupid on the other hand? Yeah. And 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 it yeah, it, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I mean, mm-hmm. um, even in the investigation here, going into that same trailer, one of the biggest mysteries here that, I mean, this is blown up Reddit, by the way, Joe, uh, for, for several years, mm-hmm. there is a photo. Okay. Of Teresa Halbach shortly before the events of this murder. Mm-hmm. And what people have really gotten blown up on here was they saw that she's holding a key ring that matches her vehicle in that photo. And on the key ring, we're seeing what looks to be either at least one key, possibly two, or some kind of other item that's attached to the key ring. Mm-hmm. And the key that ends up being found in his trailer, once again, the trailer where supposedly everything happens, mm-hmm. they do find a key ring, but it's not during the first time they investigated no. and searched the trailer. It was it was upon an, a different visit. Mm-hmm. And so people are trying to figure out how the hell did she have this one key key ring suddenly Yep. when the keys that she used to drive the car had multiple things on it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why would it, you know, I guess why would the killer <laughs> remove Take things the off of the key off. ring, but leave yeah. the key there? Yeah. Like, why would yep. you do that? And making things even more muddy is that that was found by the sheriff's department. That key was found by the sheriff's department. And the sheriff's department was not supposed to be actually aiding in the investigation that day. They think they're literally just supposed to be standing there to make sure no one else went in. Like yeah. that was their job. They were explicitly told, you cannot investigate this scene. And yeah. this and the, the key was found basically, again, like finding the car in the field, sheriff's department beelines and goes straight to a key, like behind a fucking desk or something ridiculous. It, it was it was actually under a pair of boots. That's what it was, yeah. Which they had already searched the day before the or yep. the investigation before when they went in. And this is why uh, I think Reddit got so crazy over it is because the, the, they, the sheriff actually kind of labeled this key to be important, right? Mm-hmm. Like they immediately knew this key is for something that we need to have. Yeah. And it kind of, it's kind of like the license plate thing. It's like, how are we knowing about yeah. things that we shouldn't know about yet? Right. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even, we don't even know some of these details yet. Suddenly we're connecting dots. I mean, once again, this is another one of those things that doesn't necessarily prove guilt, 
mm-hmm. but it makes you question so much about motives of law yeah. enforcement here. Mm-hmm. Here, here is one inconsistency that I like to point out that people have debated quite a bit, and this is the vial of blood mm-hmm. that that they had for him for Avery when he first went to prison. Like they had this blood sample of his for quite a while, mm-hmm. and this was a big part of the. Uh, the, the documentary as well that, that people still aren't quite sure how to take is was his blood sample tampered with? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes or no. Do you think his blood sample that had the hole in it, was that how they injected the blood into the sample or is that how someone took the sample out of the vial? <laughs> what do you think? See, that's the thing. Like I'm trying to think of like how, how blood's collected in those in the first place, because Fuck, I'm trying to think like when that's I'm trying to think like IV, like they basically hook it up to you. The they they hook they put the needle in, the tube goes there, squirts in, and I'm trying to think of like what it looks like when they cap it and when they're done with it. You know, I guess I wish I knew the answer to this because yeah. I'm so afraid of needles. When I've given mm-hmm. when I've had blood samples taken, I'm never looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I don't actually know that answer. <laughs> See, that's what frustrates me because I always look. I always look at it. I'm like, no, I need to know what's hurting me. Just yeah. this. There's nothing else there. Fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I know it's, it's strictly blood coming out, and it's only like a saline solution going in. Perfect. This is what we agreed on. I mean, I have just hated, I've hated shots so much. I've hated needles so much that yes, this is one aspect of my life that I kind of regret because now I don't know it for our podcast. But mm-hmm. yes, that that is like the last thing that really, really got people stor- uh, stirred up here was like, what did this blood vial mean? Mm-hmm. And just because it was kind of haphazardly kept too in the yeah. storage facility. So like it even seemed like it had been opened for mm-hmm. some purpose and we're not quite sure what that was. Yeah. So if the hole was there to put the blood into the vial, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I could understand that. But to me, it, it it seems kind of strange that you would have that on a sealed thing, right? Why would there be a hole in a sealed vial? Yeah. It just seems strange. I, mm-hmm. I So I don't know. But yeah. that that's another part of this that... Mm-hmm. The series doesn't actually mention, okay? Yeah. This blood evidence that they found, because what you mentioned, this blood of, of Stephen Avery's was actually found in the mm-hmm. RAV4 that belonged yep. to Teresa. Now, there was testing that was done after the series came out that a lot of people didn't didn't actually see yet, okay? And if you're one of the Stephen is innocent folks, this would be uh, putting quite a few pebbles on your side of the, of the scale, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, in the RAV4, uh, it, they found um, Stephen Avery's blood was positively identified in the mm-hmm. car. But what someone did, uh, this independent testing facility did, was they took the same model of RAV4 because they, what they wanted to prove was whether or not the blood samples that they found in that car could be duplicated in this, this control environment. Okay. Because the blood kind of flaked and dried almost like paint would, right? Mm-hmm. And it was on top of a carpeted area in the RAV4. I believe it was on the driver's side. Okay. What they ended up proving with this was not only does blood not act that way on carpet, mm-hmm. it would have soaked in and they wouldn't have been able to even notice it. <sighs> so not only do you have inconsistencies, 
scientifically we can't even figure out how to duplicate how this happened okay which is one of the reasons why people have put a lot of weight on this mm -hmm. going okay that blood evidence may have been tampered with because yeah. that blood doesn't behave like blood should behave mm -hmm. <laughs> like blood's gonna blood okay doesn't do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so that was like for me that's when i started to go man why is it every time i feel a certain way about this case something like, like that like happens twists and like fucks things up like this <sighs> well like lamagra like this is some sort of weird thing from blade and blood pulling people back together or awkwardly flaking yeah. should do either of those things but one of them is a great movie about vampires and the other is a very very bizarre murder case investigation <sighs> yeah i mean it's it's true the, the the stuff about this uh about this case that once again is often it's not mentioned at all in the documentary this is why we want to present it to you because this will kind of help muddy the waters even more not mm -hmm. towards innocence and not towards guilt but just mm -hmm. to help you understand this so avery was accused of rape by by his cousin you know mm -hmm. the one that we mentioned that he held a gunpoint right um she would come forward and mention that yeah he was raped by her and there was also a second woman who also accused him of rape uh during this like same period and both did not file charges against him because he intimidated them or you know threatened them to the point where they were just too scared to come mm -hmm. forward and what's what the reason why this is important to mention is because his fiance that you know that they prominently feature throughout this this series mm -hmm. she's basically shown as supporting him and you know saying that yeah we're like a kind of united front and yeah you know, he should be back home kind of thing mm -hmm. but then she turned around and said no he intimidated me to the point as well where i had no choice but to but to put on this face so not only has he intimidated his own victims mm -hmm. he intimidated his own supposed loved ones at the same time i think it'd be a pretty important thing to put in your your documentary a little bit you if you're if you're trying to like build this case that he is someone who's made mistakes and has always owned up to them sort of thing and he's trying to move on with his life and he's more or less being victimized by law enforcement you would think you'd show that like you know during the time of his investigation pre-investigation and post-investigation that he is seen to be a pretty abusive person that would be a pretty important thing that says you know what maybe maybe this guy doesn't own up to every bad thing he does it's very possible yeah. because that is the next thing that the Netflix series does not mention that many have covered is that Brendan Dassey himself has also mentioned to law enforcement and other individuals that he was also possibly molested by Avery. And there were also others within his family that, that Avery had also victimized. And that never came up no. at all. No throughout one. this this entire series mm -hmm. which you know once again we, we we can't say that this leads to this mm -hmm. but it's like we've got more points in this column again that point towards violent behavior mm -hmm. you know leading to this being a possibility um now one last thing about the the hallbach uh you know rav4 this was a very uh late breaking piece of evidence or detail i should say not evidence it was a detail that came up in uh, newspapers in the area a few years after this was that apparently 
Avery's sweat was also collected from yeah. the car that you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. Yep. And the, I mean, the, honestly, with the amount that I sweat, I've probably got evidence all over <laughs> Wisconsin. I mean, there's a database just for you and your sweat at this point. Just for me. What they mm -hmm. actually do is they test it against my sweat first. Yeah. And then and then they start looking for, you know, inconsistencies from, mm -hmm. from there. <laughs> but that 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 to me was uh really interesting because I mean it, it's it's hard to take sweat from somebody and just smear it on something, right? There, yeah. there are some conditions that have to be met in order mm -hmm. for sweat to appear somewhere. So unless one of the police officers, you know, took him. Just and... just kind of dabbed. Yeah. And then dabbed again somewhere. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. just cupped to the back of his neck, you know, or something, and then just smeared it. Mm -hmm. That That is one of those other inconsistencies that pops up, uh, or doesn't pop up, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, in the Netflix documentary that, once again, takes you from one side and maybe flips you to the other <laughs> yeah every piece of information that we get seemingly does this mm -hmm. makes no sense yep and i think they do show um don't they show like like footage or photos of when avery actually first meets um halbach on her first assignment from auto trader to come over there where like he basically comes out only wearing a bath towel Yes, yes. This was also one of the things that wasn't reported uh, in the in the documentary. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. there's these messages that he left for her. But yeah, he showed up in a bath towel the first time that he meets her. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's definitely predatory behavior that is that is occurring, Paul Bach and Avery. And I mean, to to my understanding, that's how it always was. Like these yeah. interactions, she was afraid to go there. Mm -hmm. She Which, was absolutely afraid to go there. Is something that I think she let Auto Trader know, like she is not comfortable going there, and they kept insisting that she be the one that goes there. Which, I mean, pointing fault in different places, like what the fuck, Auto Trader, are you doing? You couldn't get anyone else to go over there, or just maybe tell this guy, hey, you know what? Fuck off. We have all these other listings. We don't necessarily need your business. If you're going to say you'll never come back to Auto Trader again. I mean, if if I was the person from Auto Trader that like begged her to go, I would be absolutely feeling horrible because, mm -hmm. you know that that insistence is unfortunately what what we believe helped lead to her mm -hmm. demise. And yeah, um, so it's 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 just such an unfortunate case because mm -hmm. just because Stephen Avery is in prison, I don't think. We have justice for Teresa Halbach. No, no, yeah. I would agree. And and I think that kind of what leads into our thoughts, Joe, mm -hmm. based on what we know about this case, what do you think actually happened here? What I think happened is if we compare this to like, let's say, in what, what may seem as maybe inappropriate on my behalf here, is that if we broke this down into like a Batman story where Batman finds out that there's actually a, a massive miscarriage of justice to put Stephen Avery behind bars, I don't think Batman would do anything about it in this case. Like He's like, you know what? He can stay there. Because I'm under the, the belief that I, I think he did it. I really do. I think Avery is responsible for, for killing, for killing Halbach. And 
there was just such a commitment from the sheriff's department to make sure that he was put behind bars and arrested for this, that they were willing to break the law to do it. And that there were enough people in the court system that felt the same way that they were going to basically commit Stephen Avery, which is wrong. I admit that that's wrong. If they are going to actually put someone in jail for a life sentence because Wisconsin doesn't have the death sentence is he's, he's, he got the maximum punishment for this, that if you're getting someone to the point where they're receiving the maximum punishment of the law, like you have to make sure that you have proof that they actually did what you're committing them for. And I don't think they had, I think they going into this, they weren't willing to actually find the proof. So they provided it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you mm -hmm. that we made puzzle pieces fit despite not, you know, they, they shouldn't actually fit together. Mm -hmm. Right. But I guess what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is not so much what the police department did mm -hmm. and what sheriff's actually department. what our sheriff's department has mm -hmm. and what actually happened to Teresa. Ah, okay. Because that that is a fairly consistent thing everybody here likes to talk about yeah there's some there's some possible corruption mm -hmm. yeah they did they, they did things wrong they did things they shouldn't have there are conflicts of interest at play but very few people actually have a dot to connect between stephen avery mm -hmm. and how she died that's and true. and that that's what i have been absolutely obsessed with since i saw this was mm -hmm. okay fine we have it. We have a, a young woman who was murdered. Now there is a clue to this that I that I wanted to share with you, Joe, about mm -hmm. uh, about the, the the legal representation that that Stephen Avery now has, mm -hmm. and it relates to new information that was filed in a motion by his lawyer in twenty or twenty twenty one that a, a witness identified as Thomas Sawinski, who was delivering newspapers to their salvage yard during the morning hours of November 5th. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so almost about a week after Halbach, you know, had, you know, been last seen on the compound, he claims to have seen Bobby Dassey, uh, one of the nephews of, of, of Avery mm -hmm. and an unidentified older man pushing a RAV4 down the road toward the junkyard. So basically her RAV4, mm -hmm. Two two guys who were not Stephen Avery were pushing that car down the road. Interesting. So here's here's where I start mm -hmm. to ask questions. Okay, um, the cousins of Stephen Avery and some of his family members on this compound, uh, avid hunters. You know, mm -hmm. as a lot of folks tend to be in the north. Um, but what I think happened here is that. There's a possibility that Stephen Avery was involved in the murder of Teresa Halbach, mm -hmm. but I don't believe he did it by himself. I just don't believe it. Mm -hmm. I think I do think that there are multiple individuals within this family that led to the murder of Teresa Halbach, mm -hmm. and I think there there is a possibility that Brendan Dassey told accurate events. We just don't have them in the right place. Now, I'm not saying all of the events, but maybe mm -hmm. some of the details of her having been tortured and kept somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
and throughout this process you know uh they they took the remains of her body and put it into the burn pile behind avery's home so here here's the reason why i wanted to say that he may have been involved okay um he he may have been involved because he had mentioned when he was incarcerated that if if you're going to get rid of a dead body burn it burn it is much more efficient mm -hmm. right and and it's documented people saw or heard him say this yep and, and so we know that about the guy mm -hmm. so that is one of the points where i i want to tell people it's possible the other thing that i think could have happened this is the scenario where avery's not involved is that maybe his family members did murder Teresa? You know, one one of his nephews and this unidentified older man. Mm -hmm. uh, some who have said was either his, uh, you know, one one of his older relatives, whatever. Yeah, it's possible that they murdered Teresa Halbach offsite because, like I've mentioned, they were pushing her Rav Four down the road. So clearly, it was parked away from the facility, and they had brought it back. So. I think that the other scenario is possible that she was murdered off site by these folks, whoever they may have been brought back. And then to take the heat off of them, they placed her body parts in that burn pile because it perfectly sets him up to take the fall. Mm -hmm. And you never know what kind of relations he may have with his own relatives. They, they may have been like, you know what? Yeah. Something happened this week that we didn't really like. And, mm -hmm. Here's the perfect opportunity to put this guy back in jail. Yeah. Yeah, that's very distinct possibility. <laughs> yeah, given how he treats his family, fiance, and people he's supposed to actually care about. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. If he molested the his nephews, other people in the family, there there is a possibility to explore there. Unfortunately, uh law enforcement in the Manitowoc area still thinks they have their man. Mm-hmm. And with these motions that are being filed, who knows? The, the question I keep having at the end of all this is, do we have more killers in this case that are out there? And that's that's the, the important thing. Yeah, because you know, in the event that you know there are more people who are in on this or are actually responsible for it, again, we still don't have justice for a young woman who was killed here. Yeah, and, and that's and that's honestly, I think the the biggest misfire in all this mm -hmm. you know but I, well i say the biggest misfire but then there's also the lasting impacts of this series mm -hmm. now joe you, you've seen the first season have you seen the second one you, i admittedly one? haven't watched the second one just because okay. looking at the second one i think it rubbed me the wrong way was instantly like when people have such blunt in your face personalities my usual response is fuck you, I don't want to hear from you. And I kind of like go into other things. So when I saw his new attorney, I'm like, I have no interest in this series anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is just law and order, you know, Manitowoc at that point. Pretty much, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. for, so when I started to think about the the impact of this, because we do this with, you know, other mm -hmm. TV shows, video games, and like, you know, stuff that we've really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And and this is kind of a first for us to go into a documentary series because it's yeah. kind of TV. It's TV related. It's TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, the lasting impact of this series, I think, is just as interesting to explore as the case itself. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because this kind of got totally different responses 
um, within pop culture. And one of the things that I will forever kind of be upset about with this series is that there are celebrities out there, there are public figures, and all they know about Stephen Avery is this documentary. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the single most dangerous thing that has occurred out of this is that there are people now that have seen it and they're like, yep, that guy's innocent based off of what I've seen. And that's where they leave it. Mm -hmm. But you and I have just spent an episode talking about the inconsistencies and the things that aren't even here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, misinformation to the extreme, right? Completely. And other impacts of the series is would we have the quality of docu-series for true crime if this didn't take off? If this didn't do as well as it did, would we have The Staircase? Would we have Tiger King? Would we have um, The Pharmacist? I, I do think that mm-hmm. our interest in true crime would still be there. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're right that the production value may not have been as heavily invested in until this point because now you're mm-hmm. seeing it and it's like, it's like we're not just watching Unsolved Mysteries on Lifetime anymore. Like yeah. we're <laughs> we're... Mm-hmm we're watching like actual well-made productions that are cinematic like you said mm-hmm. and and yeah now that's kind of the norm i mean if people are presenting it in that kind of format it doesn't get ratings yeah right mm-hmm. um but that's that is kind of the once again the injustice of this is that the it, it's it's obviously there for entertainment value i think yep. more than it is for justice for Teresa, and yeah and and I think that should ever be the shame of, you know, of the uh, genre, of the genre. Yeah. Because again, like when I say like, would we have these series? This isn't me saying like, oh, we wouldn't have these other well-made documentaries. It wasn't for this, but it's like, no, like this is like me watching Tiger King. Like these are all for people. And I feel sorry for the tigers. Like I, I feel sorry yeah. for every animal in that documentary that all of these people are exploiting to make their money. Yeah. Seriously. And, it, 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 yeah, yeah, it's we're we're we're. I feel like this basically glorifies the wrong part of the true crime era of the of the true crime genre, where if anything, we should be looking at ways to like actually catch killers more effectively, or ways to look at how we can improve on what we've done before with previous cases, as opposed to glorifying the people who either did them, or again turning it into entertainment, um, and trying to make a real life event seem like again like a Batman movie. This was all a, a cover-up by the city and it goes all the way to the top sort of thing. It just, it highlights the wrong parts of what need to be done here. And it set that trend or that um, that bar for other series to come because now we're focused on how this ridiculous redneck with his tigers is being put behind bars by a feud with some crazy woman in Florida who may or may not have killed her ex-husband. Well, and it also it kind of bends the rules uh, of that. If if you have you know someone who's from this rural area in Wisconsin and they behave a certain way, therefore they must be guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, like like that. That is also where I think there's some injustice at play. But once again, I want to caution that with everything that we know about this case, we're not experts. We don't nope. pretend to be. Um, but based off of everything we have to kind of look at, mm-hmm. I don't know how a conviction can ever happen in this type of event. And the and the public uh, view of it now, I mm-hmm. think, is even more dangerous because uh, they didn't have 
the full scope of what was going on. No. And I and, and that's that's going to unfortunately be the lasting legacy of season one of this because that's mm -hmm. what most people saw. Yeah, is that 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 again the documentary is geared towards him being innocent, and that's the direction they definitely point you in, and a lot of people just cling on to that direction, and then they'll again start badgering the Manitowoc Police Department who had nothing to do with this scenario, or. They write President Obama wanting um, Avery to be taken out of prison, despite the fact that, you know, murder is not a federal crime. So the president can't do anything about that. So really, two oopses with that one is that you're basically asking someone to do something they can't do and that you're trying to free a man based off of a documentary when you don't have the full story. Yeah. And again, not that we have the full story, but... We're at least sitting in an area that's a little more gray. Yeah, and I, I will say that, that this this will remain outside of the scope of the documentary that mm -hmm. to this day, it's still a very interesting topic to people who are from the area. Um, there are some folks who can separate what they think about the Averys from the case. Mm -hmm. There are some people that believe it without explanation. Yeah. And and that's that's where I think it's worth continuing to have dialogue about this. Don't shut it down. At least talk to each other through this if you're still debating it or if you've got a split household on it. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that justice for Teresa is the most important part of this. Yeah. And hopefully one day we can truly have the what I think is the real answer. Again, we want to stress the importance of reporting any and all types of abuse especially with the topic of today's podcast, that if you know of or are a victim of uh, rape, abuse, or incest, that you do contact RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Hotline. They are toll-free at 800-656-4673. They operate 24 hours a day for victims of sexual assault. Callers are routed automatically to the closest member of a rape crisis center for counseling. More than 890 centers participate in this network. You can also find more information at www.rain, that's R-A-I-N-N.org. And again, that hotline number is 1-800-656-4673.